I love my dad. Happy Father's Day. Day from the Brody Boys. The Brody Bunch. Woo! Yes, yeah. I do. Happy Father's Day. Thank you to all the dads out there. Thank you especially to my dad for everything that you do. Our dad is hardworking and funny. My dad took me out of the will. But he, but for real, he actually did invest in our futures, and I'm very grateful for that. We thank you that you're always there for us and that you're always caring about us, spending so much time with us, even though you're very busy in what you do. Happy, Happy Father's, Father's Day! Happy Father's Day to all the fathers at Evangel. Hope you have a great Father's Day today. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, dads, for all that you do. We're grateful to have you in our lives. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for this job. Thank you. Happy Father's Day, Dad, and to all those other people out there who I consider my dad, thank you as well for pouring your hearts and your effort and your time and your patience, most of all, to me. Happy Father's Day! Happy First Father's Day! Good morning and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there and all those who feel fatherly roles. Um, in case you're worried that I've kind of lost my mind, those of you who know that we're a family of Green Bay Packers fans, um, I actually just thought I would wear my dad's hat, his New York Giants hat, um, to remember him today. This is a special day, and before you watch the rest of the service, um, I just want to remind you of some of the ways to connect with us on Facebook. The first one is to follow the Evangel Pentecostal Church Facebook page. If you have kids aged birth to grade five, you can look at the EPC Kids Ministry Facebook page. And the last one is if you're a youth grade um, six to 12, you can follow the Evangel Youth page. As well, we want you to continue to remember to send in your prayer requests so that we can add them to the weekly Zoom prayer meetings. And remember, of course, to check your spam folder of your email just to make sure that you're not missing any emails from us. So we hope you have a great day. Enjoy the rest of the service. And again, happy Father's Day. God bless. Good morning, Evangel. And happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Let's sing about our Heavenly Father, our good, good Father. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. You tell me that you're pleased and that I'm Never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. for answers far and wide but I know we're all searching for answers only you provide cause you know just what we need before we say a word you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's 
Responsibilities that they have. And Lord God, help us to remember that you are our Father. No matter what we've done, we can come to you and you can forgive us and pick us up. And you want to do that. You desire a relationship with us. You are good. your love, your grace, and your mercy. Pray all these things with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Today I'll be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 to 7. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did the thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day to all the dads. Today is the fifth message in our series, Finding Faith, based on Hebrews chapter 11. We see in Hebrews chapter 11 that the author selects some of the great heroes of the Old Testament history, referencing how faith motivated and led them forward regardless of their circumstances. So far, we've considered Abraham, Moses, and Rahab as people of faith. Today, we're going to consider David. Now, a few years ago, there was a common phrase, and the phrase was, you demand, you demand. That was a very common phrase. Now, I can hear some of you Gen Zs right now yelling back at me, okay, boomer, because using this phrase makes me seem old. Old people are the greatest. They're full of wisdom and experience. Thanks, SpongeBob, for standing up for us old people and for your support. You demand was a phrase used to compliment someone who had done something well. You fix that? You demand. You cooked that? You the man. You built that? You the man. Even once after preaching a sermon, I had someone come up to me and say, Pastor, you the man. I want to note it was just once that someone ever did that. As we consider David as a person of faith today, we'll be reminded that the phrase, you the man, was a very familiar part of his story but not always as a compliment. David teaches us that being a person of faith doesn't mean that you're perfect. Being a person of faith means acknowledging our sins and being willing to respond to accountability with repentance. Our first point today is God's chosen man. We're first introduced to David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. This scripture is a contrast between David and the current reigning king, Saul. Saul is selfish, he is disobedient, and he is evil. And as a result, God has decided to take the throne away from Saul and give it to one who is more worthy. The prophet Samuel is instructed to go to the house of Jesse that God will reveal to him once he arrives who the successor to Saul will be. Samuel arrived, explained to Jesse why he was there, and then Jesse had seven of his sons come before Samuel as potential options to be the next future king of Israel. But in the process, God revealed to Samuel that none of these options were his choice. Despite their appearances, despite the fact that they were good candidates, despite the fact that they were good choices, they were not God's choice. So Samuel just then asked, are there any others? 
And Jesse responded, yes. His youngest, his least likely, the one viewed by his dad to not even be a candidate to be the king, is working in the fields with the sheep. Samuel requested that he be brought forward. And once he stood before Samuel, God affirmed to Samuel that David was the man. He's the man. David was young, handsome, in good physical condition, beautiful eyes. I'm not sure if this is a description for uh, e-harmony or if it's just a description of his beauty, but there's just something special about this unsuspecting candidate. He is God's man. He is God's man. As a 16-year-old boy, he's anointed as the future king of Israel, God's chosen leader, God's man. More of scripture is devoted to David than any other Old Testament character. In the Old Testament, 66 chapters are devoted to him. In the New Testament, there are 59 references to him. 73 of the Psalms are written by him. From the very beginning, it seems that David's life is headed in an upward direction because he's the man. He's God's man. The second thing I want us to see today is a sinful man. David's life changed direction abruptly in 2 Samuel chapter 11. The text begins with these words. In the spring, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab and he stayed home. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around the rooftop of his palace. While up there, he saw a woman bathing in her home. She was beautiful and David was consumed by her. He sent someone to find out more information about her. The report came back to David that, and informed him that she was a married woman. And the man that she was married to, Uriah, was away fighting on the front lines in David's very own army on David's behalf. But David is so consumed by her that he sent for her anyway. And the result is adultery and subsequent pregnancy. David's immediate concern was not about his sin, but rather how this might reflect on him, how this might make him look. David didn't want others to know the truth about his sin. He wanted to pretend it didn't happen. So he devised a plan. The first step in the plan was to bring Uriah, the husband, home. He thought by bringing him home, he would then in turn sleep with his wife, and there would be an assumption that Uriah was the father of this child. But there was a problem for David. And the problem is that Uriah was loyal. He's loyal to the king. He's loyal to his fellow soldiers. And so, yes, he came back to Jerusalem as requested, but he refused to go home because he believed it was unfair to his fellow soldiers for him to go home and be with his wife while they remained on the front lines of battle. Uriah's loyalty led to David's second step. David needed to get rid of Uriah 
so he could cover his sin. And so he sent word to Joab, his commanding officer, to put Uriah on the front line of battle to ensure that he was killed in battle. With Uriah dead, David could cover his sinfulness. Uriah was killed, and David took Bathsheba to be his wife. And no one would know the truth. David is now guilty of adultery and murder. This is not a mistake that David has made. It is a calculated violation of what he knows to be right. God's chosen man is now a sinful man. And thirdly, a man after God's heart. God does not leave David drowning in his guilt, but responds with accountability and restoration through the prophet Nathan. When Nathan arrived at David's residence, he shared a parable, a story with David, and David believes that the story itself is true, that it's a real story. And so the story goes like this. There, are, there were two men. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had a large number of cattle and sheep. In contrast, this poor man had only one little lamb. He'd raised it. It had grown up with his children. It had shared their food and their drink. It slept in the man's arms like a child. The lamb was a family pet that was dearly loved. The rich man had a visitor come and a meal was prepared. And instead of taking one of his many sheep or one of his many cattle for the meal, the rich man instead took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the meal. Hearing this story caused David to be angry. This rich man deserved to die because he lacked pity. He cared only about himself. Now that was David's moral response. And then legally he said he must repay the man with four times as much as he took. Nathan looked at David the king and said, David, you the man. You are the man. The Lord spoke through Nathan and said, David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from Saul. I gave you all this wealth. David, I blessed you. I believed in you. I gave you opportunity and privilege, and you've sinned against me. You've stolen another man's wife. You've killed an innocent man to cover your wrongs. You think that you're keeping a secret, but you're not, David. I know what you did. Immediately, David responded with a confession. I have sinned against the Lord. He showed remorse. He entered into repentance. Nathan replied to David, God has taken your sin away, but the law requires that you be stoned to death because of adultery. But God says, David, that you will not die. But sin does have consequences. And this will impact you and your family. And the child that is to be born to Bathsheba will die shortly after its birth. David received God's grace. He was restored by God. And he became known as a man after God's own heart. And he accomplished great things for God. How was this possible in light of all the wrong that he had done? 
it's possible because when he was confronted, when he was held accountable, he confessed and he repented and he changed. There are three observations that I would like to make from this scripture today. The first is, there are no free passes. I have observed a pattern and have likely been a part of it at one time or another. And the pattern is putting people that we believe to be God's chosen person so high on a pedestal that we neglect to hold them accountable for their sin. Somehow, they get a free pass because in the bigger picture, they are God's chosen ones. Folks, we do this with pastors. We do this with church leaders. We do this with denominational leaders. We do this with board members. They are people that God has chosen to lead us. Therefore, we feel we cannot criticize them or hold them accountable for inappropriate behavior. We look the other way sometimes and we focus on the things that we deem to be good and we excuse away the things that are wrong. We do it with political leaders and government leaders. When a candidate promises things that are important to us and we vote for them and support them because we want those things even though their personal behavior is suspect. Again, we look the other way. We focus on the things that are good and we excuse away the things we know are wrong. We look away because we believe they are God's person. And who are we to judge otherwise? I want to say unequivocally today, there are no free passes for those in leadership who are perceived to be God's chosen person, yet engage in activities or say things that are completely opposed to God's character and the teachings of Jesus. People chosen by God sin. People chosen by God fail all the time. They are not chosen because they are perfect and sinless and flawless. There are no free passes, even for those we perceive to be God's chosen people. Secondly, every David needs a Nathan. Accountability has diminished significantly in our culture. There was a time when people took more responsibility for each other, were more involved in each other's lives. Extended families were more a part of the normal everyday family life. Churches had a right to tell you how you should live based on the word of God. A friend's parents could ensure that you were behaving the way you should. Today, we live in a culture that celebrates personal rights and privacy. We live in a none-of-your-business culture. People look away. Not my problem. None of my business. Not my monkeys. Not my circus. If there was ever a time that we needed accountability, it is today. We need people in our lives that care enough about us to speak truth into our lives. Now that takes trust and it takes relationship because the right to be heard has to be earned. But we must strive 
to be people whose opinions matter, whose concerns are heard, who care more about the person we are speaking to than the rejection we might receive from them. If there are people in our lives that care enough about us to risk confronting us with truth, folks, that will ultimately be for our benefit. We should value them. We should listen to them because every David needs a Nathan, someone who is willing to take the great risk to protect God's people, God's chosen person from sinful and selfish destruction. Thirdly and finally today, repentance is the true mark of faith. David's repentance and God's grace in response to David's repentance lifted David's burden of guilt, restored him in his relationship with God as a person of faith. Repentance is more than feeling sorry. It is more than ex expressing remorse. Although these two things are absolutely necessary for forgiveness to happen, Repentance literally means walking a new road. You can't repent unless you change. If we have made poor choices, if we have hurt others and ourselves, if we are sincerely sorry for what we have done and we want to begin the process of restoring our relationships and trust, we must be repentant and we must change. Sadly, not everyone responds as quickly in repentance as David did when he was confronted by Nathan. Often we observe in others, and yes, even in ourselves, a justification, a denial of our behavior in an attempt to protect ourselves. We do this quite often by discrediting the character of the person who's holding us accountable. Because if we can discredit the person speaking truth to us, then we can in turn elevate our own credibility. It's a protection mechanism. And we see this all the time. We see that a person is considered to be great, considered to be an expert, and they're placed in a position of advising and authority until they cross the line, until they hold the person in authority over them, accountable for behavior, and then all of a sudden, all credibility for them goes out the window. They become discredited by those in leadership to make them become silenced. Folks, this is dysfunctional behavior, not to mention how arrogant it is. We do this when we reject the opinions and ideas of others when we think they're lesser than our own. Humility drives repentance. And repentance is the true mark of faith in our lives. Folks, the mark of faith in our lives is not the set of beliefs that we hold. It's not the things we declare that we believe. It's not even in the ways that we act. It's are we repentant and humble before God? Do we have relationship with him? Do we live in a way that reflects his character, his word, and his expectations of us? In conclusion this morning, being a person of faith means acknowledging your sins and being willing to respond to accountability with repentance.
People chosen by God sin and fail all the time. They're not chosen because they're perfect. But there are no free passes, even for those we perceive to be God's chosen people. If there are people in our lives that care enough about us to risk confronting us with truth, well, that will ultimately be for our benefit, and we should value them, and we should listen to them. Folks, every David needs a Nathan, someone willing to take great risk to protect God's people from sinful and selfish destruction. Humility drives repentance, and repentance is the true mark of faith in our lives. Run 
born into life from death. I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling out just as I am. You pull me in and I know I I'll run to the Father again and again. I'll run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. Reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon. My soul found a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again, again and again. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. If we can be of assistance to you, please contact us and let us know. Have a great week. God bless you.